Welcome to the Green Feathers Gridiron Podcast, where we tackle the NFL's biggest headlines, break down games, and explore league topics, all through the passionate perspective of a Philadelphia Eagles fan. Get ready for insightful analysis, player spotlights, and more. Whether you bleed green or cheer for another team, I've got your NFL fix right here. So join me. The Green Feathers Gridiron Podcast starts now. Welcome on in, football fans. It is me again, your host, Brian Booth. And welcome to the Green Feathers Gridiron Podcast. Here to talk about Thursday Night Football, Giants versus 49ers. And then we're going to take a look forward at Monday Night Football, Bucks eagles Should be a good game. All right. Where do I start with this Thursday Night Football? Well, first of all, can I just say how awful these Amazon Prime broadcasts are? Al Michaels and Kirk Herbstreet just have zero on-screen chemistry. They're, they're awful together. Al Michaels, he seems to be losing his mind slowly in front of our eyes. And I, I don't know, Kirk Herbstreet just doesn't have much to say, in my opinion. It just it doesn't come across well to me. There was a point coming out of halftime where I can't remember if it was Al Michaels or, or Kirk Herbstreet were trying to make a joke. But there was literally almost two full seconds of dead air where just, you know, after whatever point was being made, neither of them really had anything else left to say. And in broadcast media, that's just not not something that you do, really. Um, just dead air on a broadcast is is really bad, especially a live broadcast. And I don't know if it's just me, but I have fiber optic internet in my house it is lightning fast all the time but whenever i watch an amazon prime broadcast at home on my tv whether it's directly through the prime app on my smart tv or if it's through the xbox or if it's through the fire stick for whatever reason the game just buffers all the time throughout the entire broadcast and it drives me nuts i have youtube tv and that doesn't happen when i'm watching any of the other broadcast channels you know and it's all over the internet just like the prime broadcast is there's no satellite dish there's no cable box it's all done through the streaming app youtube tv and it works like a charm I can pause, I can play, and here's the weird part about Amazon Prime tonight. Like, I had paused, I had to take my daughter to her dance practice, came back, and even on parts that had already been recorded, I was trying to catch up, the game still had to buffer. It was ridiculous. I have no idea what's going on, but I am not enjoying these Amazon Prime broadcasts. I hope the NFL, whenever the next round of bids comes up for Thursday night broadcasts, I hope they give it to somebody else because Amazon is, it's it's no good. I, I do not like it at all. All right, coming back to Giants 49ers. <sighs> Giants, I really think you messed up and I think you gave the wrong guy 
the long-term deal this offseason. I understand Saquon is hurt. I understand Saquon has had an injury history the past few years. He was he was healthy his rookie year. He was healthy last year. But the, the years in between, he's been hurt a lot. And I understand that. But to give Daniel Jones $40 million a year and through three games, your offense has averaged less than 100 yards. And not just averaged, has actually netted less than 100 yards total in each of the first halves of your first three games. $40 million for less than 100 yards of offense. Daniel Jones is not the guy. And I'm sure he's a nice enough person. He seems to not have any problems off the field. But as a player, if you're going to pay someone $40 million, you better light up the scoreboard. And honestly, I think I think had you played hardball and said, hey, you know, we'll offer you $30 million a year, you're not going to be in the upper echelons of quarterback earnings, but you'll be set for life. You're, you're fine. Give some of that money to Saquon. Give some of that money to some other receivers. Watching that game tonight, it was painful to watch how bad the quarterbacking was for the New York Giants. I expected the Giants to come into this game, try to do a lot of quick, easy rhythm throws for Daniel Jones, Granted, I did expect Saquon to have a larger role. I understand he was hurt. When I made my previous episode, I was not aware that Saquon had gotten hurt last week. But the strategy is sound, would have been sound. They did have a running touchdown in the second half because they finally, after three quarters of play, finally were able to catch the 49ers flat-footed. They got, I think it was like a, an 8-yard touchdown run. But the reason they caught him flat-footed was because it was pass, 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 pass all night long. And a lot of dink and dunks, a lot of passes out to the flat or in the backfield, four, five-yard passes. And the Giants, for the great majority of the game, were not able to get a lot of yards after the catch. The 49ers' defense is good. They are very stingy. And they were getting after it today. I was disappointed more in Daniel Jones, especially with how hard the Giants' defense played. Yes, the 49ers scored 30 points, again, for the third week in a row. Scored an even 30 points. You know, that equates to three touchdowns and three field goals. But they literally had the ball, they as in the 49ers, literally had the ball at almost a 3-1 to one margin. When you look at the time of possession, it was insane how much longer the 49ers had the ball in their possession. And they were long drives, 16, 18 play drives. And it just seemed like the Giants would do really good. They'd get a couple tackles for a loss, a couple incomplete passes. Brock Purdy, although he had a lot of passing yards, it was mostly yards after the catch. Debo had a lot. Kittle had a lot. But... Purdy as well was missing on a lot of throws. Giants defenders had their hands on a lot of balls. Pause. And they just couldn't come down with an interception. Brock Purdy, for the third game in a row, fumbled again. Didn't lose it. I also said that would happen if you could get to him. But the Giants just could not take advantage of the opportunities that they had. But they hung in there. The Giants were getting after it. A lot of these passes even though Purdy was doing a lot of dink and dunk as well, were incomplete. 
He had a couple deep passes to Debo. Debo did score on a deep pass, but it was maybe, I think, uh, I think there was about 30 air yards or something like that. But by and large, Brock Purdy was not hitting on the deep passes tonight. Now, I don't watch a lot of 49ers games all the time. I don't know how Brock Purdy performed in the first two weeks. I can see the stats. They weren't mind-blowing, but they were decent. But watching Brock Purdy tonight throw the ball, it makes me wonder if his surgically repaired elbow is back to 100%, because they were not, by and large, pushing the ball down the field as a team. So very interesting game plan to see both teams pretty much dink and dunk in the passing game for the vast majority of the game. Really, the biggest difference was, in my mind, Christian McCaffrey. He, although didn't have the most yards he's had all year in a game, he was efficient in running the ball. He got a lot of first downs on the ground. He caught a bunch of passes, was able to convert a few first downs that way, and he scored another rushing touchdown today. The 49ers, by and large, as I mentioned previously, were able to sustain these long drives, hold on to the ball, and eventually the New York Giants just couldn't keep up. And I feel kind of bad for the defense because really the offense completely let them down. I don't know who was calling the plays, but the Giants got to take a big, long look in the mirror right now, offensively speaking, to see if they can get this thing turned around because Daniel Jones looked awful. Darren Waller, had a couple of receptions, but really when the moment called for him to make a big play, he wasn't there. Dropped two passes in the fourth at the end near the end of the fourth quarter that helped sustain drives. Granted, were they the best thrown balls? No. But they were catchable balls. I just don't know how else to put it for the Giants is they just offensively did not show up today. And to walk away with 12 points is kind of embarrassing. Another stat that I saw today, through 12 quarters played, the Giants have scored in only four of them. Obviously, the first week of the season, they got blown out 40 to nothing. But in the two games since then, they have gone the equivalent of an entire second game going completely scoreless. It's mind-blowing to me that this is acceptable as a team. Again, I don't understand how Daniel Jones got the contract that he did. I am all for players making as much money as they can, but if he refused to play on his fifth-year option this year, couldn't you have at least used the franchise tag on him instead of Saquon? Without Saquon, Daniel Jones is... I don't even want to say below average. He's significantly below average when it comes to quarterback efficiency. He was awful tonight. And he's athletic. He can run. but And I don't know if it's the players or the play calling around him. It's mind-blowing that someone can struggle this much and get paid $40 million a year on a new contract. It, it blows my mind. Like, you could have drafted you could have drafted a new quarterback and and probably you couldn't have been any worse really i mean you look at brock purdy he was the literal last pick in the draft last year and he outplayed your guy who was i think top 5 overall pick something like that 
Daniel Jones should be ashamed of himself. Losing to someone who has less than a full season of starting experience, who, if we go by the stats, Brock Purdy went 25 for 37 for 310 yards and two touchdowns. Daniel Jones was 22 for 37 for only 137 yards. Less than half. I mean, as a first-round pick, especially with as much time as you've had in the league, dude, the Giants should be getting their money back. Which I think is hilarious as an Eagles fan that the Giants did this to themselves. Like I said, they could have drafted a new quarterback, and I honestly don't know if the results could have been any worse. At least you would have the excuse that the dude's a rookie and still learning, right? But this guy making $40 million a year is highway robbery. I mean, defensively, like I said, I was impressed with the effort the Giants gave. The 49ers did what I expected them to do. They played tough. They got after it. They got a turnover. They held the Giants to a total of 88 yards in the first half. Just a complete domination on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, they had the one touchdown that they allowed. But other than that, one touchdown drive, though, New York could do nothing. The New York Giants offense was terrible. It was completely predictable. It was too pass heavy. And like I said, the one time they were able to catch San Francisco flat-footed was on an eight-yard run by Matt Breida. So 25 total rushing yards for the New York Giants with 10 minutes left in the game. I think for the entire game, they only had about 29 yards, if I'm recalling correctly. So with 10 minutes left, you run for four more yards. Like, what are you doing? I understand you're down, but when the when the pass isn't working, could the run really be that much worse? And I understand Saquon is a great player, but he's got to have blockers. It's the same offensive line, right? It's the same coaching staff. It's the same play callers. Why is it so different between when Saquon is on and when Saquon is not? It, it shouldn't be that drastic of a difference unless... Unless, I mean, it could be Saquon. He is special, so maybe he's making everybody else look better, which, again, brings me back to the point of you paid the wrong guy. Saquon Barkley wants to be a Giant for some reason because it sure ain't winning, but he wants to be a New York Giant, but he wants to get paid because he recognizes, and tonight is a perfect example, that without Saquon Barkley, the Giants have absolute bubkiss on offense. Doesn't matter what free agent receivers they bring in or tight ends or whatever. Darren Waller was a non-factor today. Daniel Jones was a non-factor. Only half the team showed up to play tonight, and I feel bad for the New York Giants defense. And as an Eagles fan, that makes me feel weird that I actually feel bad that the Giants just are just so bad. Uh, another interesting stat, Christian McCaffrey scored a touchdown in his 12th straight game. So uh, he actually does get one of my game balls. He had 18 rushes for 85 yards, five catches for 34 additional yards, one rushing touchdown. Brock Purdy, the numbers don't lie. Like I said, he had 25 of 37, 310 yards passing, two touchdowns. Again, a lot of that seemed like it was a lot of yards after the catch, so I'd be interested to see if there was a way to break it down, and I'm not sure that there is, at least that I was able to find quickly after the game. It would be interesting to see how many 
air yards he was actually throwing for versus how much of that 310 was yards after the catch. But 310 yards is is a solid performance either way. Obviously, if a guy catches it and he gets a lot of yards after the catch, you obviously threw it to the right guy. You made the right read. So kudos to that. The other game ball, Debo Samuel, he had six catches for 129 yards and a touchdown. So solid performance all around from the 49ers offense, which is pretty much what I expected. Okay, so... Looking forward to Monday Night Football, we've got the Eagles traveling down to Florida to take on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers on Monday Night Football. Forecast for the game shows game time should be around 86 degrees, 52% humidity, so it's going to be muggy. So how can the Eagles deal with the elements as well as with a decent team who is off to a hot start? Through two weeks, Tampa's defense has allowed only 108 total rushing yards. That's 3.3 yards per attempt. The defense, on the flip side, has allowed 497 total yards. That's just a little shy of 250 yards per game. They're allowing a pretty high percentage completion rate of 67.1% for uh, an average of 6.8 yards per attempt. Good news is that these numbers suggest the Eagles should be able to to pass on these guys. Now, granted, the competition that the Buccaneers have played so far has not been the not been the best. They beat the Vikings uh, by three in Week One, and the Vikings I feel are a better team overall than their current record would suggest of zero and two. It did come down to a last second field goal, but then last week Tampa played the Chicago Bears. And Baker threw for a lot of yards. And, I mean, Chicago has just turned into a dumpster fire. FBI is raiding people's homes. People are resigning. Their DC is gone. There's just a lot going on in and around the team. And it's all related to the defense right now. And so, being that they played Chicago, and granted they did play well against Chicago last week, it's hard for me to really gauge how good the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are at this point. They do have playmakers. Baker is, regardless of your feelings about him, he gets guys to follow his lead. He can galvanize a team around him. I think that does have a certain shelf life, as we saw in Cleveland. But when you're winning, it's a lot easier to follow a guy who's a bit eccentric with a big personality, even if he can rub you the wrong way sometimes. A lot of that doesn't matter as much when you're winning, and right now they're 2-0. Tampa's defense has also gotten eight sacks through the first two weeks. That's tied for third most in the league. So we can pass on this defense, but our offensive line has got to step up through two games so far this season. Our offensive line, which was widely vaunted as the best offensive line in the league, has allowed seven sacks on Jalen Hurts. Now, I will say that some of those sacks against the Vikings last week, I feel like Jalen saw that people were covered up, didn't want to risk throwing an interception, and I think he just allowed the sack. I think had Jalen been a bit more scrambly, he probably could have avoided some of those sacks, but we absolutely have to step up as an O-line in our pass blocking to avoid you know, another multiple sack performance. On the flip side, we talked about the Buccaneers having eight sacks. The Eagles defense only has four sacks through two games. And uh, Baker Mayfield is 
kind of a slippery dude. He's mobile enough, doesn't really run like a Justin Fields or a Jalen Hurts, but if you flush him out of the pocket, he can roll out to one side or the other and he can improvise on the move. Because of that, so far he's only been sacked once this season through two games. So one of the keys for the Eagles, defensively speaking, is we got to keep Baker in the pocket and we can't let him roll out and improvise. Defensively, we also have to come up with an answer for Mike Evans. Let's face it, Justin Jefferson, and I recognize Justin Jefferson is widely considered to be the best receiver in the league. He had a monster game. He had like 150 yards receiving last week. But Mike Evans is still one of the top receivers in the league. And if you've got a fired up Baker Mayfield who is motivated and confident, he can throw on the run and he can get the ball to Mike Evans who can torch you. Uh, I was looking on Next Gen Stats today showing that he's got a touchdown catch where he was clocked in at over 20.6 miles per hour. That's fast. So the defense has got to find an answer for Mike Evans. I think Bradbury is set to come back this week. Avante Maddox is out for the season with a torn pectoral muscle. So we got to find an answer for our slot corner. Does Sidney Brown get a chance to play? We'll see. But we've got to come up with with an answer for Mike Evans defensively. Through two games, the Eagles have allowed over 300 yards passing per game. So that's not good enough. I understand we played the best receiver in the league. He had a monster game. But that's got to start... That's got to be more of the exception rather than the rule. And right now, teams are passing all over us. And we're not getting the same amount of sacks as we were last year. Granted, I understand. A lot of our linebackers are all gone from last year. Javon Hargrave is gone from last year. Jalen Carter, as well as he's playing, he's a very highly rated defender. According to PFF, he's the highest rated defensive rookie, I believe. But we got to get better. We got to get after the quarterback some more. Can't allow the opposing quarterbacks to just sit there and pick us apart, which is what Kirk Cousins did last week. If it weren't for all the fumbles that the Vikings had, we easily could have lost by multiple scores. And so defense has got to pick it up all around. Another key for the Eagles to win this game is we got to be aggressive in our play calling, take advantage of a defense that is allowing a higher percentage completion rate. Like I mentioned before, over 67% completion against the Tampa defense. But we've got to do it quick. We've got to get the ball out. Let's get Jalen in rhythm. Let's play off of DeAndre's big game last week. And let's continue to grow on that. Let's continue to run the ball, play action, avoid sacks, and we should be fine. Like I said before, I think some of the good stats that Tampa has been able to accrue so far through two weeks, I think a strong amount of that is because they've played teams like Chicago so far, who, as much as people like to say that the Cardinals are tanking, Chicago is maybe just as bad a team, but maybe even worse because Chicago is actually trying to win. Arizona is very clearly tanking at this point. So I think at the end of the day... The Eagles get the win. I think it might be closer than I had originally anticipated when uh, the schedule was first announced. But I'm going to take the Eagles to win 30-24. All right, so one thing I saw on Reddit, and we'll end on this today, and it's not going to be a big discussion point, but there was a study done that showed that players 
on average, are 24% more likely to suffer a concussion in a game where a playoff spot can be clinched. 24% more likely. Which, I guess, makes sense. You know, when you have something to play for, guys press, right? They they go harder. They're trying to get that bag, right? They want to put out good tape. They want to make the playoffs so that they can get that next contract. That happens. People want to play for the Super Bowl. They're going to go out there. They're going to be more aggressive, offensively and defensively. I can see that. I don't really know how else the NFL really can address problems with concussions. I mean, obviously, in the last few years, the league has, and you can see this, there have been tons of new designs for helmets coming out. In training camp, they have the extra padded, I don't even remember what they're called right now, but they have those extra padded helmet covers in training camp for certain positions, linemen, tight ends, running backs, etc. To a certain point, I understand that there's only so much that the NFL can do. When you say, oh, well, a player's 24% more likely on average to get a concussion in a game where playoff seeding is available or can be clinched, how do you minimize that without completely neutering the game of football? I don't know if you can. Obviously, everyone is trying to get to the playoffs so that they have a chance to play for the Super Bowl. That That's just the nature of these guys and just the nature of this game is when there is something to play for, you play harder. People who don't have anything to play for generally don't play as hard. That's just how it is. Not every guy is like that. Not every team is like that. But on average, that's what we tend to see. So I'd like to hear your thoughts. What do you think about the concussions? Is there something else that the NFL can do to help minimize concussions in situations like, for example, if a playoff spot is available and can be clinched? Is there something the NFL can do in general to help minimize increased concussion risk. I don't know. Um, we've got some new got some new helmets and some new helmet designs coming out. Players are practicing less than ever during the week, and concussions overall are down. So something is at least trending in the right direction, but there's always room for improvement, of course. What are your thoughts? Let me know. Connect with me over on our Facebook page, Green Feathers Gridiron Podcast. There are a couple of quick questions. They're very easy, but we just want to make sure that you're not a bot trying to come in. Answer the questions, agree to the rules, and you should be automatically approved. But would love to hear from you guys. Feedback, questions, would love to connect with you. Find me over there, Green Feathers Gridiron Podcast on Facebook, and we will see you next time. I want to extend my heartfelt gratitude to all you passionate football fans for joining me on the Green Feathers Gridiron podcast. Your support and enthusiasm drive me to keep bringing you the best of NFL analysis and spirited discussions. A special thank you goes out to Josh Hansen, Spencer Myers, and KP Brown. If you've enjoyed our deep dives into the NFL action and headlines, please take a moment to show your love by rating and subscribing to the Green Feathers Gridiron podcast on your preferred podcast platforms. Your feedback and subscriptions mean the world to me. But wait, don't keep this podcast gold all to yourself. Share it with your friends and fellow football fans who crave the same insightful conversations that you do. Together, we can build a community of fans that live and breathe the NFL. So as we wrap up this episode, remember to rate, subscribe, and share. 
Your involvement is key to helping this podcast reach even more fans like you. And until next time, I will see you on the road to victory.